Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you are here today. That's the way to start today, amen? Like, that is good to worship uh, our God and our Father, our Savior. Uh, and I don't know whether you are here in the room or you're joining us online via audio or video or however you're here with us, we're just glad you're here with us. And uh, if you notice, I'm sure you did, we actually are together a little bit more today, which is good, right? It feels good. This is good. It's good to be together in the house of the Lord today. So um, the word different. We use the word different as human beings to describe something or someone who is not like everything or everyone else around them. Different. Different means someone or something that is set apart. It is distinct. It is different from everything else. Today, we are starting a brand new series, very simply called Different for a Change. Different for a Change. Basically, what we're going to do in this series for this summer is we are going to talk about different topics, different ways, different things that we need to be or that we need to do as followers of Christ to be different. Different than those around us, different than the world, different than what's going on. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like, what it means for us as followers of Christ to be set apart, to be distinct, to be different than everything else around us. Now, this series may not make a whole lot of sense to you yet, because that's all I'm going to give you at the beginning here. But I think by the end of the message today, you will understand a lot better where we're going this summer with this series. I think you'll have a pretty good idea. So we're going to talk about how we are different. But before I do that, I want to just pause for a moment. I want to pray again. And I want to ask God to speak clearly because here's the truth. Today's message, if we don't fully accept and grasp today's message, what I believe God has for us today, it's going to be very difficult for us to accept the rest of this series this summer. This is foundational. This is like we have to understand this principle and what God is asking of us as followers of Christ if we are to understand all the different topics that we're going to tackle this summer. All right? So let me pause for a moment. Let me just ask God to speak clearly and then we'll, uh, we'll jump right in. All right? Join me in prayer. Lord, We recognize that you are sovereign, that you're omnipresent, that you're everywhere, but you're also omniscient, which means you know everything. We believe that, we accept that here today. And so, Lord, we recognize that we need your voice in our lives. So, Lord, I just want to ask very simply that you would speak and that we would be ready to listen. May we hear what you have to say to us, whatever that is. We pray this in your name, Jesus. 
Amen. All right, so Jesus and the disciples are at the Last Supper. They're around a table, and and they weren't sitting at a table like in chairs like we do. They lounged next to the table. They would lay one side or the other. So Jesus and the 12 disciples, they're lounging around this table. They're having what we know as the Last Supper. This is the Last Supper. This is the night where after the supper, Jesus is going to go out into the garden. He's going to pray by himself with the disciples kind of nearby, and then he's eventually going to be arrested that night, and then the next day he will be crucified on a cross. So this is literally the last supper that he has with the disciples before all that happens. And at the last supper, Jesus does a lot of amazing things. He teaches them a lot of amazing stuff. He starts this very first thing that we call now communion. He starts at the last supper. He washes the disciples' feet. You've probably heard of that, right? When Jesus takes his his tunic off and he, he kneels down and he washes the disciples' feet. So a lot of amazing things happen at the Last Supper with Jesus and the disciples. But what I'm going to read in just a moment is at the very end of the Last Supper. It's right before Jesus and the disciples walk out of the room and go out to the garden to pray. It's just a few hours before Jesus is going to be arrested and taken away by the authorities. So these are literally the last couple of minutes, the last words of Jesus to the entire group of disciples together. Because what happens when he's arrested, remember? The disciples scatter. Do you remember that? He's arrested and the disciples run. And so these are the last words Jesus speaks to the disciples as a group. Not the last words that he speaks overall, but the last words to them as a group before he's crucified and resurrected. And what's interesting is these words that I'm about to read, they're not spoken directly to the disciples. Jesus is not speaking directly to the disciples in this moment. You know what he's doing when I read these? He's praying. Jesus prayed a lot. He spoke to his heavenly father a lot. And in this moment, Jesus is praying for the disciples. He's praying on behalf of all the 12 disciples that are there in the room with him. All right. So what I want to read is this is Jesus's prayer. And these words we need to hear because the same prayer that he has for the disciples, he actually has for you and I, if you claim to be a follower of Christ. Now, just caveat and and usually say this because this is true here at Northridge. Not everybody here is yet a follower of Christ. Not everybody here has chosen to follow Jesus yet. Some of you are just checking things out. Maybe you're not sure. You're on the fence in that. So this, actually this prayer is what God hopes for you, but it doesn't apply to you yet because you haven't chosen to follow Jesus. This prayer are for people who follow Christ. All right, so let me read them. John chapter 17, I'm going to start with verse 14. End of the Last Supper, Jesus is praying. Jesus says, I have given them, he's talking about the disciples, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world, Jesus says. My prayer is not that you, he's talking to God the Father, right? My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, Jesus says, I have sent them into the world. So kind of an interesting prayer, isn't it? Right? You probably haven't heard anybody else pray a prayer quite like that, my guess is. I haven't prayed a prayer exactly or anywhere near maybe that either. But this is the prayer that Jesus was offering on behalf of the disciples. And what we notice in this prayer, but what we also notice from the front cover to the back cover, there's a thread, there's a theme that goes throughout the entire word of God. And that theme is this, that God calls people who follow him, who want to put their hope and their trust and their belief in Jesus, those who follow Jesus, God calls them to be different. He calls you to be different. Different than those around you, different than the people around you, different than everyone else and everything else around you. God calls you, he was calling the disciples, Jesus was praying about the disciples to be different. So, maybe you've heard this phrase. My guess is some of you have heard this phrase and some of you have never heard this phrase. And this phrase talks about followers of Christ and who we are supposed to be. This phrase is this. We as followers of Christ are to be in the world, but not of it. In fact, I'm just curious. I want to know, how many of you have heard that phrase, in the world, but not of it? Okay, a, a few of you. I'm not expecting all of you. I would guess that many of us have never heard that phrase. That's okay. I grew up hearing that phrase a lot. That we as followers of Jesus need to be in the world, but not of the world. But you might be sitting here and say, yeah, I've heard that phrase a lot. I have no idea what it means. <laughs> right? Or those of you that just heard that phrase just for the first time just now, you're like, awesome. No clue what you're talking about. Right? In the world, but not of it. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's talk about it. First, when Jesus is praying this prayer, he says the world in the prayer a lot. Did you notice that? He says, I don't want you to take them out of the world and, and they are not of the world as Jesus says, I am not of the world. So what is Jesus talking about when he says the word world? What does he mean by that, the word world? Well, let's talk about it. There are three possible meanings, probably not the only three possible meanings in God's word, in the Bible. When you see the word world, it should be a cue to you that this, we need to ask ourselves, what is it talking about? Okay, three possible meanings for the word world, all right? Again, not the only three, but certainly at least these three, okay? The first possible meaning of the word world is it means creation. It means everything that God created. So when I say, when God says the world, sometimes what God means is creation. If you look outside, the sun is shining. The trees are rustling in the breeze, right? We just went, uh, uh, my family and I went on a hike yesterday at one of the state parks, and, and we got to see this amazing valley, beautiful. We saw for miles and miles around. That is the world, God's creation. Everything that God created is the world, okay? So that's one meaning when you see the word world in the Bible. It could mean just God's creation, what he created. That is not the meaning that Jesus is talking about in his prayer. So what's the second meaning? The second meaning when we hear the word world is God is talking about people. 
He's talking about humanity. He's talking about human beings. Perhaps the best example of this is the most famous verse probably in the whole Bible. You know what it is? John 3.16, because we see it tattooed on everybody. They hold signs up at sporting events, right? John 3.16. What does John 3.16 say? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Jesus, whoever believes in him, would not perish, would not die, but would have everlasting life, eternal life, right? That's the, that's the verse. For God so loved the world. He's not talking about planet. He's not talking about environmentalism. For God so loved to be a tree hugger that he sent his son Jesus. No, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about the planet. He does, by the way, just so that we're clear, he created it. So he cares. But that's not what the world is talking about. In that phrase, in that verse, it's talking about people. He's talking, saying God so loved people that he sent his one and only son to die for us. That's not the meaning that Jesus was using in his prayer either, though. He wasn't talking about the world in terms of people. So the third meaning must be the right one. As you probably figured, you're probably already going there, right? The third meaning is the right one. So what is the third meaning of the world, the word world in the Bible? The third meaning is when, the, when God says the word world, he's talking about, Jesus is talking about the world's system, the world's way of doing life, the world's way of life, the way of life that is ruled by Satan, ruled by the devil, ruled by sin. Sometimes when the Bible is talking about the world, it's talking about the evil way of life in the world. This is the meaning that Jesus was praying about at the Last Supper for the disciples. This is why he said, we are in the world, but we are not of this world. We cannot be taken by this world and did you remember what Jesus said? Jesus prays. He says, God, I'm not asking you to take the disciples out of the world. They need to be in the world, but they can't be of the world. I'm sending them into the world so that they can impact and influence the world, but not to be impacted or influenced by the world. In the world, but not of it. Still kind of hard to get, though. Kind of like, okay, we're here, we live here, we're supposed to be in the planet, we're supposed to be involved with people, but we can't be taken over by evil, by Satan, by the devil, by sin. How does that work? Well, let me give an illustration. One of my favorite all-time communicators, Billy Graham. If you've ever heard Billy Graham speak, my goodness, that guy was anointed by God to preach the gospel. He brought literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus just with his words. Powerful, powerful speaker. But I love what he said. I think it was actually in an article. I don't think he was actually speaking this audibly. Um, but I remember reading this and Billy Graham explained this phrase in the world, but not of it. He explained it. He illustrated it. And I, I couldn't come up with a better illustration. It's just, it's just perfect. So you guys have heard of the Gulf Stream, Right? If you guys have heard of the Gulf Stream? The Gulf Stream is very simply this. And this is how he kind of illustrates it. He says, being in the world but not of it is like the Gulf Stream. Okay? So just to kind of revisit middle school science class for a minute. All right? 
The Gulf Stream is very simply a warm water current. It's basically a river that flows through the ocean. We, we, ne- we didn't discover this early on, right? Uh, there, there were ships that would try to get from, one, you know, from Europe over to North America, right, to discover it and all that stuff way back in the 14, 1500s, all that kind of stuff. And they discovered that no matter how strong the wind was, if the prevailing winds were the correct motion, but they were in the Gulf Stream, they didn't know why, but they couldn't get anywhere. You know why? Because there's literally a river, a current, running through the ocean called the Gulf Stream. We call it the Gulf Stream now. We know that. It's warmer water. It flows in a direction that's completely different than the ocean. It behaves completely different than the ocean. It's not at all like the ocean at all, but it's in the ocean. Hmm, interesting. And this is also interesting. Did you know why have you, have you ever looked at this and me as a geography, as a social studies teacher, a former social studies teacher, like I'm interested in this stuff. Some of you are going to be like, oh, please stop. <laughs> but I love this stuff. Do you know why England and Western Europe, which is actually further north on the globe, do you see that? They're further away from the equator than we are. But did you know that they're warmer than us? The entire East Coast, we get tons of snow and like it can get below zero and get up to like 90 degrees. Western Europe, they don't experience that. You know why? The Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream impacts the climate and the ocean and everything around it. The ocean does not impact the Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream impacts the ocean. You see where we're going here. The Gulf Stream is in the ocean, but is not impacted by the ocean. It impacts the ocean. The ocean is much bigger, but the Gulf Stream is what has influence on it. This is exactly what Jesus has called you and I to be as followers of Christ. We are not to be in the world and of the world. We are not to be taken by the world. We're not supposed to love the world system, evil and sin, and how all the officials are telling us we're supposed to live. We're not supposed to be influenced by that. We are supposed to be influencing them. We are called to be different. Different. In the world, but not of it. Influencing it, impacting it for the love of Christ. I feel like sometimes we have a lot of Christians who are being impacted rather than impacting I feel that sometimes I'm that way. I love what uh, 1 John says. There's a passage in 1 John that really kind of illustrates this. Listen to what it says. It's 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 15 if you want to jot it down. 1 John 2, 15. It says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. In fact, I want to just pause there for just a moment. Did you hear what that just said? Let me read it one more time because this is really, really, really important. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not. That doesn't say you might not. It says you do not have the love of the Father in you. Okay, this is really, really important because we as American Christians don't believe this verse and we don't live according to this verse. What 
God is telling us is you cannot love the world and love God at the same time. You can't do it. Well, we have a lot of Christians trying to do that, though. I want to be in the world and of the world, but I also want to love God too. I, if, as long as I show up at church on Sunday, then I'm good. It cleanses what I did throughout the week. I'm just cleaning the fish again. Right? That's how we kind of view it, isn't it? It's kind of like we, we're like, I'm going to love the world. I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. And God says, nope, you can't. You literally can't love the world and love God. You can't do it. It's not possible. God made it not possible. You have one master. It will be the world or it will be God. You can't play the middle because that just drifts to the world. So going on, what does it say? It says, says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. God is saying, you can't love the world and me at the same time. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. In the world, but not of it. Different. So a few weeks ago, uh, I met up with a buddy of mine from high school. Uh, actually, a few, it was a few months ago that Laura reached out to somebody. They were looking for something and, and all kind of stuff. And so she reached out to him and the guy came back and wrote a message to her and said, hey, by the way, or they are on the, I think they were on the phone. And, and he said, by the way, I know your husband. I went to high school with him. And I was like, who is this? Right? And, and so she told me who it was. I was like, oh, it's John. That's awesome. I didn't even like, and, and let me just tell you, this is one of those guys. I wasn't like best friends with him. We didn't hang out all the time, but we definitely knew each other. We played high school varsity soccer together on the same team. So I, I, again, I didn't know him well, but we knew each other well enough. Like as soon as I heard his name, I'm like, yeah, I know who that is. And, and so anyway, so we got together a few weeks ago for coffee. He lives here in Madison. I haven't talked to him. I haven't seen him since, literally, not even once since high school. 20-some years. Yes, I've been out of high school for a while. All right? So we sat down. We had coffee. had coffee with John. And we were reminiscing about, you know, the good old days. Right? High school days of playing soccer. I could run forever. Right? I was fit. I was like, you know, all kind of stuff. Less cookies probably back then. Actually, probably more cookies, but uh, I just ran them off better. Right? Now they just, they never leave. <laughs> it's like, whoop, there it went. Add, add another one. All right? But we were reminiscing about soccer days and, and, and common friends and, and stories of things that we remember and, and all these things. And so we just had a great time. And by the way, he's a faithful follower of Jesus, which is really cool. I didn't, I didn't know that. And one of the things that we talked about, one of the pieces of our conversation was really interesting. We were talking about, you know, high school days and all that kind of stuff. And we both admitted to each other in this conversation over coffee that we knew each other, but we didn't know each other was a follower of Jesus back then. We were both Christians back then. We both were trying to follow Jesus faithfully, 
but neither one of us, even though we knew each other, we didn't know that the other was a Christian, was a follower of Jesus. In other words, our faith back then in high school was more hidden than visible. That is exactly the opposite of what God calls us to be. He says, I need your faith to be more visible than hidden. You need to impact those around you rather than let them dictate to you how you're going to live. And we admitted this, that that we did not do that as well as we should have in high school. See, Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus calls us. He, he, he actually reaches out to you. So any of you who have accepted Christ, the reason you did, and this is really important to know, the reason you did is something called prevenient grace. That's a really theological term. Prevenient grace. All that means is it was God's grace that allowed you to even understand that you needed him. And God reaches out to you. He calls you. Jesus offers an opportunity to you to follow him. He says, I want you to follow me. Will you follow me? And we respond either yes or no. Truthfully, a lot of people respond no. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't even believe in Jesus. They, want, they, don't, they don't want that. Probably because they realize that their life has to change. That God's going to ask them to be different. But every one of you, if you are a follower of Christ in here, a lot of you are, do you know how that happened? That happened that Jesus called you. The Holy Spirit called you out and said, hey, I want you to follow me. And then you had to make a decision. You had to make a choice. In fact, by the way, side note real quick here. Some of us in here, and I'm not saying this to dig in. I'm just saying that this is the truth. Some of you may have gone to church your entire life, but you've never actually responded to Jesus. I told a story, eh, it's probably been three years ago now, of a guy that used to help lead worship at a church that I was at previous to this back in North Dakota. And he had been leading worship for like four, like, I don't know, 20, 30 years, something like that. His name is Mike. And one night at, I believe it was rehearsal for the, the practice for Sunday. So it was like a Thursday night. He all of a sudden was prompted by Jesus. Jesus kind of got a hold of him and he realized and he admitted in front of the entire worship team, he said, I need to admit something. I've never actually accepted Jesus. I've never actually answered the call to follow Christ. And you know what they did right then and there? This is a good worship team. They stopped and they prayed with him. He accepted Christ. And uh, just a few weeks later, he got baptized. That was an amazing moment. Jesus calls us. He says, come follow me, follow me, and I'm going to make you different. You're going to be set apart. You're going to be following me, and it means you're going to look and you're going to act and you're going to be different than everybody else around you. You're going to stop loving the world and you're going to start loving God. And by the way, just so that we're clear, it's hard to love God sometimes because if you love God, God is a lot of times very different and very opposite of the world system, isn't it? And so they do this. 
And God says, I'm always going to win because I'm God. The question is, which side are you on? Jesus calls us to him. He invites us to follow him. But I want us to be really clear. When he invites you to follow him, he is inviting you to a life that is different than everybody else around you. He is not just inviting you to have a golden ticket to heaven. Yay, I accepted Jesus. I I punched my ticket. Woo! Yes, that's a part of it. But I have to, we need to make sure we understand that when we surrender, when we give our life, when we answer the call, when Jesus says, come follow me, and we say, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'm going to do that. We are giving up other things in our life. We're supposed to. It's supposed to be different. People should see your life, should know who you are, and they should know that you're different by how you live. Do they? Do they? Know that Jesus is everything to you. So one of uh, the things that Laura and I and our children have been watching lately is uh, a new, it's basically a TV series, but it's actually through an app, a free app, and it's called The Chosen, right? Um, I don't know if you've seen this or heard of this, but it's quite phenomenal. If you're looking for a blockbuster-like entertaining thing, it's not for you, okay? Don't do it. You'll be bored, okay? But it is basically just a series about the life of Jesus. It's dramatized. It's done really well. But it's a series about the life of Jesus. And, um, and we've been watching this, Laura and I and the kids. And, and the kids even like it, even though it's not real exciting, you know. But they've been watching it because it just brings the, the New Testament, the Gospels, to life in a very powerful way. Um, so what I want to do is I'm going to show you a clip here in just a minute from that series. And by the way, you can download the app. It's called The Chosen. Just go in your app store. Click, uh, type in the chosen and it'll come up. It'll be a black and white picture of uh, a face of somebody and it'll say the chosen and you can watch it right on your phone, right on your tablet. You can cast it your TV, whatever, all right? There's some tech involved, right? But you can do that. But I want to show you this clip because this is one of my favorite clips in the whole series. This is the moment when Jesus calls out to Matthew, who is a tax collector, the enemy of the Jewish people. He's collecting money for the Romans, the hated Romans. And then Jesus invites Matthew to come and be one of his 12 disciples in this moment. And I want you to take special notice of what everybody says, and in particular what Jesus says to Simon Peter, who's going to be standing right next to him, Listen to what Jesus says to Simon Peter about being different. Take a look. Matthew. Matthew, son of Alphaeus. 
Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes. You. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to you. What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. My favorite line in the whole series was that last line, get used to different. Get used to different. Simon Peter wants nothing to do with Matthew. In fact, throughout the series, they play on this whole idea this understanding that Matthew is a tax collector, the disciples do not like him, especially Simon Peter. And so Simon Peter's like, Jesus, I don't get it. And did you hear what Jesus said? Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, you didn't get it either when I called you. <laughs> You're just a fisherman. I can call anybody I need, right? And so this is the point. This is my favorite part of this that Jesus calls you by name. He knows your name. He knows exactly who you are. He knows what you've done. He knows what you need to do. And he calls you by name. He calls you out and he says, come follow me. And when he does that, then we have to respond. But I just want to be very, very clear because Jesus is clear. This was obvious when Matthew joined, right? Matthew was giving up wealth. He was giving up status. He was giving up power. He was giving up Roman protection. As, as the Roman soldier, that was his protector, by the way. He was there to protect Matthew. He was assigned to Matthew. No Jewish person ever had that. And Matthew was there. He's ready to leave and he says, you would give this all up? No Jew has a better life than you. And Matthew simply says what? Yes. He was accepting a different life. So, uh, as many of you know, um, my dad passed just over, well, it's been two and a half weeks now. And uh, my mom and dad had a lot of special moments in the days leading up uh, to his passing, to his death. Um, but one of the things that my dad shared with my mother uh, many, many weeks before he passed was something that he wrote, something that my dad wrote when he was just, it was just him and God. My dad was just writing down his thoughts. And... 
my dad shared this with mom and he said, I wrote this six weeks before he found out he was diagnosed with cancer. So this was back in early February. Six weeks before he found out. And basically there were two parts of this writing. One aspect of the writing that my dad wrote down that he was sharing with mom is he was, he was writing about how blessed he felt and how faithful God had been in his life. How thankful he was for all the people in his life and what he had been able to experience. And not that his life was perfect, let me tell you, he didn't have an easy life, but he was just thankful for the faithfulness of God. But then my dad ended by making a list. A list of things, 12 things, and we're going to show it to you here in just a moment, not yet, but we're going to show it to you in just a moment. But he wrote down 12 things that he, according to him, my dad, he would have done differently. Now, I want to be clear because this is, maybe this is mostly just important to me and mostly important to mom who's in the room, but my dad and, and mom, they, they had this conversation many times in the last weeks of his life, but they have no regrets in how they live their life. Let me tell you, as a, as a son, I am so, my parents are my heroes. My parents are my heroes. My mom here, she's a hero. My dad is a hero. And, and one of the reasons is because they have no regrets. And the reason they have no regrets is because they've lived faithfully for Jesus their entire lives. Did they live perfectly? No. But they live faithfully. And God is faithful to them. So this list is not a regret list. But it is a list acknowledging that Jesus is always at work in us. And so my dad was, was just literally downloading from the Holy Spirit, from God, saying, this is what's most important. These are the things that matter the most. And my dad made a list of 12 things. And this is what he said. He said, he titled it this way. He said, things I would do differently. Simple. Things I would do differently. And there's a reason I'm going to share this list with you. It's because this list, these 12 things, are the exact 12 topics of this sermon series going forward. 12 things that we need to do differently to follow Christ. And by the way, I think it's very fitting that we're going to start the first topic next week on Father's Day. God knows what he's doing, I'll just tell you that. So I want to share this list with you because I believe that if your heart is ready, these are 12 things that God is going to speak to you about this summer in this series. Things I would do differently. Speak less, listen more to others in the Holy Spirit. Assume less, learn more. Take less, give more. Hide my feelings less, Share my heart more. 
For some of us, maybe we need to flip-flop that one. I'm not sure. I'm just kidding. Fear less, risk more. Criticize less, affirm more. Waste less time, redeem more time. Hold things less, cherish people more. Watch less, read more. Love self less, love others more. Harbor less, forgive more. Teach less, model more. In the world, but not of it. Different. Let's pray.